Malachi 3, 7 to 12. Return from robbery. Return from robbery. Malachi 3, 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. The prophet, he continues his discourses in addressing the sins of the people. From chapter 2, 217 to 36, the people, they doubt the justice of God. But God is saying in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, he will indeed bring about justice, especially in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the messenger of the covenant, the Lord who will suddenly appear in his temple. And he will be like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will indeed do a thorough job in whatever he does and punish all the evildoers, verse 5 says. 3 verse 5, he will come draw near for judgment to punish all the evildoers. And then God reminds them that he does not change. They might think, well, in one period of time, God allows sorcery, but not now. In another period of time, God prohibited adultery, but now it's okay. Whatever way they look at God, conceive of God, it's wrong, it's sinful. They understand God to be a God who changes or who changes his mind. But God is not one who changes his mind. What he says is true, what he says is fixed, and therefore we should obey it. Then now in 7 to 12, he addresses the fact that they need to return to him or turn away from sin or repent. Different ways of saying the same thing, both in the Old and the New Testaments. To return to God means to turn away from sin. We notice in verse 7, they have turned aside from my statutes. They turned aside. They went to a bypath. They went to a road on the side of the highway of holiness. And God's saying, you turned aside from the straight path. You need to turn back. And turn back means repent or turn away from sin Stop going on the bypath, but go back on the main road on the highway of holiness. That's what he's teaching in verse 7. As is characteristic of the people, they object. They object both in verses 7 and 8. They object like a, a whiny child. Like a whiny child. But you say, how shall we return? As though they don't know. Verse 7. Verse 8 Um, How have we robbed you? As though they don't know. As though they never were instructed or 
that the matter is not self-evident, but the matter is self-evident. And that's why God says, you think I don't punish? You think I'm not a God of justice? Well, I have cursed you. He says, verse 9, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. A curse is on you. And in verse 11, the devourer has come to destroy. He has come. The devourer would be most likely some insect that God sent to destroy their crops. They say God doesn't see their sins. He doesn't care about evildoers. In fact, evildoers are good to God, they say. But God says, no, evidence is I have already cursed you and your crops are not fruitful. Therefore, you need to repent of sin. Turn away from sin and I will bless you. And when I bless you, then the nations of the world will also notice your blessing and consider the blessing that you have and consider the God that you worship. That's how it works. That is an overview of verses 7 to 12. Let's look at it more carefully now. Verse 7, 3, 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. From the days of your fathers. Many times when the prophets say, from the days of your fathers or forefathers or ancestors, he's talking about the evil fathers, the evil ancestors, those who were disobedient. Some of them were obedient, but the vast majority of them, most of them were disobedient. They did not follow the ways of God. And for this, he means, for example, in the days of the judges, in the days of Samuel, in the days of the book of Kings, in all those periods, there are many, many examples of their forefathers, their ancestors, disobeying God. That's why God had to send judges in the period of the judges. That's why in the book of Samuel, God had to raise up Samuel when he was just a small boy, raise up Samuel to be a prophet of the Lord in the book of 1 Samuel. In the book of 2 Samuel, the main example is King David, at least in the first half of the book of 2 Samuel. In the book of Kings, we have major examples in prophets like Elijah and Elisha sent to call the people to repent because in the days of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and other wicked kings, they, they the people, disobeyed many, many times. That's why the prophets were raised up to call them to turn away from their sins. When he says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside, he means all of those many examples. Even the recent examples, the two main recent examples, in the north, the northern kingdom, the nation of Israel, 10 tribes, they in 722 BC were carried away and destroyed by the Assyrian Empire. Then in 586 BC, God sent the Babylonians to destroy Judah. God destroyed Judah, the forefathers of these who are living here in the book of Malachi. He destroyed the kingdom of Judah, the remaining people, and sent them into exile way far away, hundreds of miles away into a foreign land, and there they worshipped other gods. At least the majority of them did. They worshipped other gods. 
This is what he means. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside. You think your way is right when God says his way is right. You cannot follow your ways and turn aside to your ways. You need to follow his ways. He said so in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. When he gave them these statutes. Another word for statutes is laws or commandments, testimonies, precepts, judgments. But more commonly, the commandments or the laws of God or the statutes of God. Deuteronomy 4 verses 1 and 2. Moses told them clearly what they should do, and this is how they disobeyed. They turned aside from these statutes. Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform in order that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. This is what he told them. He said, don't add and don't take away from this word that I've given to you. Also notice in verses 5 and following. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? This is the place where God told them, keep my statutes, obey my statutes, or keep my statutes. This is your wisdom. You will be a wise and understanding people. And then the nations of the world will recognize how wise and understanding you are and how great your God is. Chapter 12 now, Deuteronomy chapter 12. Deuteronomy 12. And here we notice the temptation. 12.8, Deuteronomy 12.8. You shall not do at all what we are doing here today. Every man doing what is right in his own eyes. We should not do what's right in our own eyes, but we should do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Further, he says in 12, 28, 12, 28, be careful to listen to all these words which I command you in order that it may be well with you and your sons after you forever, for you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. What is most important? Doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Verse 32, 32. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. 
you shall not add to, nor take away from it. Don't add to, don't take away from it, but carefully do whatever is written. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in us you might learn not to exceed what is written, in order that no one of you might become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Always, 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 it says right there, not to exceed what is written. So we must know what is written in the Word of God and not go beyond it, not exceed it, not turn aside from it, but follow it carefully. Understand it and follow it carefully. Otherwise, we are arrogant people. Arrogant people will not follow the Word of God. And also, there's a condemnation. Like Malachi preached judgment for turning aside, here in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, Revelation 22:18 and 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. <coughs> Whatever is written in the Bible we must not add or take away. Otherwise, God will send a plague on us. And the final plague is the plague of eternal destruction in hell, in the lake of fire, if we turn aside from God's statutes or not obey them. Well, Malachi then says, Return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. Return to me, and I will return to you. Malachi, the prophet, calls on the people to turn to God. We said return means to turn to God, or another word for it is to repent, to repent. A similar phrase is used in Zechariah 1, 3. Zechariah 1.3 Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me, and I will return to you. The sequence God puts before us in order for us to understand blessing is turn away from sin then I will come back to you. I will come back to bless you. That's the point. That's the sequence we should keep in mind. Whenever people are not repenting of sin, what do they need to hear? God loves you. God is very gracious. God loves everybody. God's love is eternal. God's love is unconditional. 
God is a very, very gracious God. These are not the words that unrepentant sinners need to hear. They need to hear it at some point, but the main thing they need to hear is repent or return or turn back or turn away from sin. That's what they mainly need to hear. That's why God says to them, return to me and I will return to you. If you want my blessings, God says, turn away from sin. Then you will receive my blessings. This is the main point he's making. He's not minimizing the need for faith. He's not talking about having a circumcised heart. Those are not the issues right here. When you have sinners not repenting, when they're not repenting and they're being stubborn about it, they don't need to hear soft, smooth, pleasant words. They need to hear strong words, harsh words. Return to me and I will return to you. This is a fact of the New Testament also. This is a fact of the New Testament. There are many, many New Testament examples of this being the case. Uh, many examples of this being the case in the New Testament. We find first in the book of Acts. Acts we'll look at a few examples in the book of Acts and we'll go from there. The book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 19. 3, 19. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and return, that your sins may be wiped away. Repent and return. Two words describing the same thing, the need to give up sins. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 35. Acts chapter 9, verse 35. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord. To turn to him means to turn away from their sins and turn to God. Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11 and verse 21. 11, 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed, turned to the Lord. In 11.21, do we see where if you believe, you will repent? If you believe, you will turn? This is a verse that tells us the sequence of salvation, at least two elements of it. To believe will make us turn. Those who believed turned to the Lord. Acts chapter 15. Acts 15, 19. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles are giving up their sins. That's why they are turning to God. 
26, the book of Acts 26, 18. 26, 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. He says, turn from darkness, turn from the dominion of Satan to light to God. Verse 20, 26, 20. But kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. And 28, 27, the book of Acts 28, 27. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn again, and I heal them. It says, and turn again. Turn again, or return, and I heal them. If they repent, if they turn away from sin, then they will be healed. Healed and forgiven. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. First Thessalonians 1 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. 1 Peter 2.25 1 Peter 2.25 For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. <coughs> straying like sheep means living in sin, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We have shown that the New Testament also prolifically, repeatedly, constantly is telling people to turn away from sin. Stop sinning. Return to God or repent. The people in Malachi's day, they pretend like they don't know what he's talking about. They say in verse 7, but you say, how shall we return? How shall we return? It's like talking to small children who know better but will not listen. They say, how shall we return? How am I supposed to do that? As though mother or father never taught them how to do it. This is how they are. And remember, this method of argumentation in the book of Malachi is called a disputational 
format, disputational. God, through the prophet, will accuse them, and then they, in their stubbornness, will say, what are you talking about? And then God will answer. This goes back and forth in the book of Malachi. Look at Malachi 1-2. I have loved you, that's God. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? But you say, how have you loved us? Chapter 1, verse 6. O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? Verse 7. You are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. Verse 13. You also say, My, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? Malachi chapter 2. Malachi 2, 13. 2, 13. And this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Well, why? They're asking why. I don't know why. So they cry about it like crybabies. They cry about it at the altar, and God rebukes them and explains why. Verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where? Where? Where is the God of justice? Chapter 3, verse 7, our verse. But you say, how shall we return? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. (coughs) 313. 3.13, this will be the final one. 3.13 and following. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant, blessed, but not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. They constantly challenge God. And when they do, God answers them and refutes them. God answers to refute them, and He silences them. God silences His critics. We're also supposed to silence our critics. Jesus did so. And we ought to do like he did. Matthew 22, Matthew 22, 46. Matthew 22, 46. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. Jesus refuted them, so they dared not ask him another question or challenge him anymore. Apollos, Apollos, Apollos was not a prophet, and he was not an apostle. Apollos 
in Acts chapter 18, verse 28. 18:28 it says, He powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. He powerfully refuted the Jews in public. Then Titus, Titus 1, Titus 1, 10 and 11. Titus 1, 10. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced. It says, who must be silenced. This is Titus, a pastor, a young pastor, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. 13 also, verse 13. This testimony is true. For this cause, or for this reason, reprove them severely that they may be sound in the faith. Severe reproof may cause soundness of faith. Soundness of faith. Severe (coughs) reproof. Not always, but sometimes. Malachi does it, so should we, as we saw from these New Testament examples. Okay, well, they ask the question, how shall we return? What is their sin now that Malachi will address? <coughs> Verse 8, Malachi 3, 8. Will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Doesn't everything in creation belong to God? In what sense are they robbing God? Yes, everything in creation does indeed belong to God. We find this in Job 41:11. Job 41 and verse 11. Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Everything belongs to God. Even we find in Romans 11. Romans 11, 35 and 36. Romans eleven thirty-five. Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. From these verses, we find that God does own everything. If God owns everything, then what we do with God's possessions determines whether we are handling His possessions correctly or incorrectly, either righteously or wickedly. And if God says that some of, his, some of the possessions that He has given to us actually should be given back to Him in a certain way, and we don't give those things back to Him in a certain way, we are robbers. We are criminals. We are thieves. 
Yes, we are thieves if God told us to do something with our possessions and we don't do it. We are thieves or robbers. Will a man rob God? How can a man, a lowly man, how can a man who lives only for 70 or 80 years, who has parents, and then he dies one day, he didn't come into the world by himself, he did not create the world, he does not own the world, how can a man think that he is better, wiser, or stronger than God? How can a man think he is better, wiser, or stronger than God? But they do think that way. Lots of men think they are better than God. Lots of men think they are wiser than God, smarter than God. Lots of people think they are stronger than God. And they can do whatever they want with whatever they own. Will a man rob God? He's saying, what is a man that he's behaving this way? Don't you realize you're going to die? Don't you realize you're going to die and you're not going to take anything with you? Don't you realize that? Yes, we shall die and nothing will go with us. Psalm 49. Psalm 49. Psalm 49, 10 to 12. Psalm 49, 10 to 12. For he sees that even wise men die. The stupid and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. Yes, wise men and stupid men have to leave their wealth, their riches, their money to others because they're going to die. But they think inside that they're going to live forever. Everything's going to last forever. They're very proud people, but they are just like animals. A beast is an animal. They are like animals. Animals die, correct? Don't chickens and cows and pigs die? Yes, they die within a short time. We live longer than they live, usually. We know they die because we eat them. Correct? But man is just like the animals. Animals die, we're going to die. So what should we do with our possessions? Live, use them for God's glory. 49.16, even Psalm 49.16. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house in, is increased. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise you when you do well for yourself, he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see the light. Man in his pomp yet without understanding is like the beasts that perish. Yes, men will 
have many riches, but they, when they die, they're not going to carry anything out of the world. Have we ever seen a dead man able to carry all of his gold and silver, all of his cash, all of his coins, all of his jewelry with him into the grave? Has a dead man ever carried all of his jewelry, gold and money to the grave? Have you ever seen that? No, it doesn't happen. That's what he's saying here. It's not going to happen. Men might praise you. Oh, you're rich. You're wonderful. You're rich. But they're not going to carry anything out of this world. It says here in 1 Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6, 7, and 8. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. For if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. We brought nothing into the world, we cannot take anything out of the world. This should make us be content with food and covering. When babies are born, do they bring anything outside of their mother? No, they come empty. They come naked into the world. And then the mother has to put clothes on them, right? And then when men die, when men die, don't, do, do they carry things to the grave? Do, when they die, do they first walk to the grave? No. They, they are so helpless because they are dead, somebody has to take them. And usually what do they do? The people will take off whatever clothes they were wearing when they died and put other clothes on them, the clothes that their family wants, them, wants him to wear. So even when he dies, he's not putting clothes on for himself. When he was born, he's not putting clothes on for himself. And when he dies, he's not putting clothes on for himself. He's not taking anything. People have to help him. Correct? So, we are men. Everything we have belongs to God. We have to look at it that way and not hoard. Malachi says, or God through Malachi, yet you are robbing me. If we understand this to be true, what we just said, God owns everything. We brought nothing into the world. We're not going to take anything out of the world. We're going to live a short life. Animals live a short life. We will live a short life. If we understand all of this, then why do we rob God? He says, yet you are robbing me. You all know this, but you are robbing me. Stop robbing God, he's saying. But the people, the people, but you say, how have we robbed you? You know when, you know when there's some dessert in the kitchen, your favorite cookie is in the kitchen, and your mother tells you, listen, I, listen children, I baked these cookies, but you cannot have one right now. You cannot have one right now. You have to wait some time. And after dinner, you can have one, but not right now. But you smell them. You know where they are. And then your mother walks away. And then what do you do? You sneak into the kitchen. You grab one of the cookies or two of them or three of them. 
and you eat them very fast while she went away. Maybe she went outside. Maybe she went to the garage. She didn't see you go to the kitchen, but you ate three cookies while she was gone. And then she comes back and she asks, did you eat those cookies? And then your answer is, how have we robbed you? No, what, what, do you ta- what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. That's what the people do here. How have we robbed you? We don't rob you. Oh no, we are good children. We belong to you, God. So we would never disobey you. No, no, no. That's their attitude. That's our attitude. That's the way we are. And he says, he gives the answer. They are pretending they are innocent, but they're not innocent. He says, in tithes and contributions. In tithes and contributions. They have robbed God by not paying tithes and offerings. Tithes and contributions. They refuse to give to God through the men of God or the ministers of God that which is due them. The people were taught clearly what they should do. We find an example of this in the book of Deuter... Well, let's go to Numbers. Numbers first. Numbers 18. The whole chapter of Numbers 18 addresses this subject. God here gives details on how the family of Aaron, or the priests, were supposed to be compensated or paid. And then he also explains how the Levites were supposed to be compensated or paid. Aaron was one of the families. His family was one of the families in the tribe of Levi. Aaron's family had some duties in the temple, but the Levites, the whole tribe of men, they had other duties. And the people, the common people, were supposed to pay tithes to the Levites and to the Aaronites. That's how it was supposed to work. Okay? For example, 18.8. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, Now behold, I myself have given you charge of my offerings, even all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel. I have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual allotment. The holy gifts of the sons of Israel are to be brought as offerings for Aaron and for his sons. We find in verse 12, 18, 12, all the best of the fresh oil and all the best of the fresh wine and of the grain, the first fruits of those which they give to the Lord, I give them to you. I give them to you, meaning to Aaron and to his family throughout the nation, in the nation of Israel throughout their generations. Also, notice... 1821, 1821. And to the sons of Levi, that is the whole tribe of Levi, not just Aaron, but the tribe. Behold, 
I have given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. The tribe of Levi was to receive from Israel the tithe because they work in the temple. But even the Levites, look at 18, 25, and 26. 18, 25. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe, a tithe of the tithe. That is, after the Levites received from Israel a tithe, then they were supposed to take a portion of it, 10%. Tithe in the Bible means 10%. 10% of the money. That is, if it's $100, then $10. If it's $10, then $1. That's 10%. The Levites were supposed to also return to the Lord a tenth of what they got from the nation of Israel. Everyone was supposed to tithe. That's there in Deuteronomy, or Numbers 18. Now, Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, we'll read verses 1, 1 to 5. 18, 1 to 5. The Levitical priest, the whole tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel, They shall eat the Lord's offerings by fire and his portion, and they shall have no inheritance among their countrymen. The Lord is their inheritance, as he promised them. Now this shall be the priests due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, either an ox or a sheep, of which they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach. You shall give him the first fruits of your grain, your new wine and your oil, and the first shearing of your sheep. For the Lord your God has chosen him and his sons from all your tribes to stand and serve in the name of the Lord forever. These were the items to be brought to them for their service of the house of God, to serve God. These are examples of tithes. If we do not tithe, is it serious? We'll find the answer to that in Nehemiah. Nehemiah 13.10. Nehemiah 13.10. Nehemiah 13.10 to 14. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses, and in charge of the storehouses I appointed Shalemiah, 
the priests, Zadok the scribe, Padiah of the Levites, and in addition to them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Matanya, for they were considered reliable. And it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. Nehemiah, he is the governor. He notices that the Levites are not at the temple. The Levites are not doing their regular duties because they are too busy working in the field. They are working in the field so much that they can't do anything they're supposed to do for the temple of the Lord. So, Nehemiah, he's a godly man. Verse 11, I reprimanded the officials. I reprimanded. What is a reprimand? A reprimand is a rebuke or a strong correction. It's a warning with a rebuke. Don't you realize how wrong you are, basically? He says, why is the house of God forsaken? You're allowing the house of God to be forsaken. So he made sure that these officials returned and that there were leaders who made sure that the tithes came and Nehemiah's prayer, he calls it loyal deeds. Loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. That's the right thing to do. When it's not being done, Malachi preaches the same. That's what needs to be done. Is that an Old Testament teaching? Is it only an Old Testament teaching? No. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is perhaps the longest place in the Bible that discusses this teaching. 1 Corinthians 9, 1 to 18. 1 Corinthians 9, 1 to 18. We'll see this and two more places in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 9, 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Or, uh, or do we, excuse me, do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles? and the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. 
If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things, that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share with the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, and I am not writing these things that it may be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For uh, Galatians, Galatians 6, Galatians 6, 6, Galatians 6, 6 to 10. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Our final passage in the New Testament, though there's more to say on this, 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. <laughs> the two passages being quoted, one in verse 18, one of them is Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. Deuteronomy 25, 4. You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And then Luke 10, 7. Luke 10, 7, when Jesus said it, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Luke 10, 7. Okay, then, we've established that robbing God is withholding, in this context, withholding tithes and contributions for the work of God. When we do so, we deserve a curse, as he says in verse 9. But then he wants them to repent, and that's what he's offering to them in verses 10 
to 12. Next time we'll pick up at verse 9 on the curse and then the restoration upon repentance. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.